So I was sitting here just about to edit this episode, Aaron chatting with Vinny, formerly of Less Than Jake, now of The Inevitables, and I realized I haven't recorded an intro yet. So this is that intro. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. You're going to hear from him in a, in a moment when he chats with Vinny from Less Than Jake. And I'm literally recording this on my phone because, well, I don't feel like going to a microphone to record my intro that I forgot to record earlier. Uh, Less Than Jake, one of those bands that, you know, I think if you grew up in the scene, you've spent any time in the scene, you're familiar with, uh, of course, a ska punk pop punk ska band however you want to label them uh from florida they've been around man they've been around for a while i actually got to see them a couple of years ago on the punk in drublick tour with no effects and bad religion it was a fantastic show they were actually the main reason i went to that show that and craft beer let's be honest it was the craft beer but uh they're a band that that you know i've been aware of for quite some time i can't specifically remember the first time i heard them necessarily because like i said they're just one of those bands that have always been around uh, a legacy band at this point for sure so aaron had the chance to chat with Vinny, like i said used to play drums in less than jake now he uh, is in a band called the inevitables a ska band that is fantastic they released a record uh, last year i believe it was that was absolutely fantastic go check it out if you haven't done so but yeah, before we get into the interview, just going to do some housekeeping. Go follow us at Growing Punk Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. If you're on TikTok, you know, if you're one of the, the young, cool kids on TikTok, uh, you can go follow us there as well, at Growing Punk Pod. And wherever you're listening to the show, please tell your friends about the show. Share it with your friends, especially if you know anyone who's less than Jake fan, thinking, hey, maybe I want to... Maybe they want to know what Vinny's five favorite less than Jake songs are. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into it. I'm rambling. Coming up right after this, it's Aaron and Vinny of Less Than Jake talking about his five favorite Less Than Jake songs. So I usually like to start with um, like a fun fact or, or something, you know, maybe different to start. Um, so what was unique about your role in Less Than Jake is that you write most, if not all, the lyrics for the band, which, you know, is pretty rare for a drummer. Was this something that kind of just came naturally when the band started or how did you kind of figure out that, that you were good at that? You know what? I No one knows they're good at anything until you do it a bunch of times, right? Like, so... Uh, Early on, when we started Less Than Jake, I was really a, a huge Lookout Records fan. And so that was, you know, during that time was like Sweet Baby and Crimshine, Isocracy, like that that era. 
But yeah. I fell in love with Crim Shrine, and I fell in love with Aaron Comet Bus, who who did the Zine Comet Bus. If if has any if anyone has read it, if not, they should find it. And he was the drummer, but also wrote the lyrics to to Crim Shrine. And I, I fell in love with that, you know, and and his writing and the vibe. And I tried to kind of pour myself into it. And I, I wrote some lyrics before for previous punk bands, but sort of newfound inspiration. That's I, I headed in that direction. So I, I, bl- I blame Crip Shrine and Aaron Comic <laughs> for that. Well, that's awesome. Was there ever like mixed feelings about that from the singers or were they kind of okay with that? Or how does that all kind of play... It's, it was just something that we we had that framework from the beginning, right? And uh, I was passionate about doing it, so I continued to do it. And then, as uh, less than Jake went on with when I was still <clears throat> writing with the band, it it became, hey, now we want to sit down and sort of like talk about it a little bit more, and then add in so while if you look at early less than jake uh, records and songs that's 99 percent of of the output uh, of the song lyric was myself later era less than jake was probably about you know 80 percent with about 20 percent of a group kind of discussion you know and that's yeah. for better or for worse right because sometimes having another editor and I prevents you from doing, you know, sort of rookie mistakes and, and uh, feeling like you've heard it before. And then other times it waters down a emotion because they're not living in your skin. So there's good and bad to the sort of like a, a group dynamic when you're writing, even writing songs and writing lyrics. Uh, sometimes it, it's great to have that sort of uh, diplomacy of hey we're all writing and we're all doing this and sometimes it it takes the idea that was centered and kind of waters it down slightly yeah well i was curious as if to you know if there was ever times where you know especially with your lyrics if you know you heard it in a song and it was like oh that's not how i envisioned it or that's exactly how i envisioned it did that kind of create a weird balance of connecting with a song just depending on kind of your expectation of how those lyrics would be used you know what? Uh, occasionally, but I think that going into it in the role that I had, I always expected it to never reach the expectation of what emotional, at least emotional connectiveness. I already went, okay, this is a singular thing. And once it gets put through a filter of the less than Jake sort of like filter, I knew that it would change in a direction mm-hmm. because usually we would be adding you know, sort of upbeat and ultra catchy and ultra bouncy music to sometimes a a darker lyric content, right? So yeah. I already knew that it was going to change how people kind of digested it. And I know that it was going to change ahead of time of the context. So I, I, I never got hung up on that at all. And I was okay with all of that. And still to this day, like, you know, being able to lyrically get it all out and then have someone who has infinitely better sense of melody like chris and raj be able to articulate that yeah uh, pretty right on that that was a a a a true like gift right yeah so so i never got hung up on it because 
I always looked at it as such. It was a, a, a gift. I always knew that it would change the, the intent of the lyric to the outcome. I always knew the context would change. Never got hung up on that and always looked at the 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 framework that we were doing as like a a, a gift to, to be able to articulate those things. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it because I would imagine there would be sometimes, you know, where it could kind of be like, you know, almost like resenting or bitter of just like, you know, that's that those are my lyrics. That's not how I envisioned it. But yeah, when you see it as the full band, that there's gonna be, you know, shifts in it when you're giving it to somebody else to to kind of put it into something else. Like that's just part of a creative process. Well, yeah, I mean, and and I'm good with that. And not only that, less than Jake, it, it, to the, even with my departure, like it still maintains to be the sum of its parts, right? Like, and always, no matter what, it wasn't about one person who was writing everything and their their sort of vision for it. It was always a group dynamic, a group effort, and it was always the sum of its parts. It was never. Hey, I'm I'm the lead singer, so I'm writing all the music and I'm writing the lyrics and dictating it. And it doesn't matter if people come and go because the vision uh, would be just with that one person, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I I feel that even with that framework of how the band worked, that you always had to go in knowing that someone else wanted to put their thumbprint on what you were bringing in creatively. It was a given. There was never a free pass of, hey, here's the chords or here's the lyric. Let's change the end to the the and let's do, you know, and yeah. let's change this and do this or or do a halftime. And the, the filters uh, weren't just with a few people. It was with everybody. Yeah. Well, I imagine that helped you also connect with the songs more, just being, you know, that much more invested into a song. So I, th- I think that's a really cool aspect too you know instead of kind of being you know the drummer kind of keeping the song going being the backbeat you're also kind of the front as well right because lyrics for you know is a huge part of what people are connecting to and so i think that's a really unique thing that you had of you know being the back of the band you know physically at the back of a stage but also the front and you know that connection so that's really neat you know i i I thought so too and it's pretty wild in the in the sense of that Punk, punk punk music just by uh the inception of it is supposed to burn bright and supposed to burn out quick right yeah and it's a unique it, it becomes a very unique thing when it extends into a decade never mind two decades never mind heading into three decades right and and to to burn that sort of hot and prolonged it 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 that's in itself is a unique thing because by definition, punk rock's not supposed to do that, right? Punk rock's supposed to burn hot and burn fast and then be done with it. And for it to turn into a, a longevity thing of, of songs that you wrote and, and ideas that you had, all of a sudden 30 years or close to 30 years later, people still singing that and, and catching the same intent off a lyric or off of chords uh is pretty fucking wild man like and it's something that i'm super proud of but super unique nonetheless yeah yeah so i still like vividly remember my first time hearing less than jake i think my buddy had found your songs online probably on a download site of some sort Um, i didn't have internet at the time um so i was at his place and it was the song motto from hello rock view with that you know the cool kind of harmonics on the guitar and 
Um, you know, so this was at a time where I was discovering new music and, you know, it was really influential and exciting in my life. So, you know, that immediately sold me on Less Than Jake as a favorite band, just, you know, hearing that riff and hearing this new band that I'd never heard. And so I, I love that I can still take myself back to that. So today we're discussing uh, five of your favorite or, or standout Less Than Jake songs. You know, seeing as you have so many albums and songs to choose from, how hard is something like this? You know, do songs immediately stand out to you or do you kind of have to go back and listen through albums? You know what? When when I was thinking about this, uh, like last week, I, I went, you know what? I I have like sets of songs for Less Than Jake that I like. You know, oh, this was really great uh, playing live and the crowd reaction. That that becomes a, a favorite. And then this group of section of of just musically, I think, it is really good. And then I have the section of lyrics that I'm most proud of that mm. connect with me the most. And I think that just talking about the lyrics right now, I think that like I, I would head in that direction of some of my favorite less than Jake lyrics. Uh, and. It, it, it is hard, man. It's, it's very hard because you up to, you know, maybe about like after Anthem, uh, it started to become like harder and harder to figure out my favorite record that that mm -hmm. I was a part of. But then it's as time goes on, it I find it to be uh, equally as hard to figure out what my favorite songs are. Right. And it because it gets painted with. Oh, when we played Gainesville Rock City at, you know, the Reading Festival and there was 80,000 people, you know, jumping up and down, going crazy. That that song becomes bonded with you, that moment. Right. And it becomes a favorite song. But is it a favorite song lyrically? Uh, no, not in the top five. If we're talking about it, maybe right. in the top 20. Right. But yeah, I, I think I think doing the, the, the a top five lyric thing would be would be great. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess another kind of part of that question is, you know, what's it like having, you know, so much time and material under your belt, you know, with one specific band? Um, you know, that's what's one thing that's kind of intrigued me about that, about bands that have been putting out music for so many years is, you know, is there ever a point where you kind of start feeling, you know, disconnected with a certain album or songs or period of the band or kind of how do you kind of align all of that? It, it, it comes and goes, right? Like, I think that there, there's a record that recently I, I had gone back to, which was GNV FLA. Yeah. And, and it was up to that point of releasing it, touring on it. And then basically I put it on the shelf, hmm. you know, and recently went back to that record and uh, just through some conversation, went back to it and went, you know what? I, I really like this record, you know, yeah. and, and it's dark and, and weird and, and, uh, at, at certain points you go, Oh, I, I know what we were going for. And it, it's a good look back and retrospect record for me going, Oh, we, we were trying this and we succeeded in some things and then maybe fell a little short on others, but the idea was there and it made sense at the time. It makes sense now. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's plenty of records, you know, losers, Kings and things. I'm fully disconnected to that record. Right. Like, early on and you're just trying to figure out how to write songs and be a band and go on tour. And, uh, now it seems so far away and, and I'm completely detached to that sort of spirit, right. Of that. Yeah. Uh, 
but it just, again, man, comes and goes. There, there's moments where things pop up and a friend of mine goes, Hey, I just thought about you. And I just heard this song and that sends me down into like a rabbit hole and go, Oh, let me just go listen to it. Cause I don't know if any other band, people that are in bands, listen to their stuff on a regular basis. I don't, right? I, I, no. don't, I don't listen to Less Than Jake, but I went back and, and listened to some records sometimes, and as recently as GNVFLA, and I got, oh, yeah, I, I remember that song, and I remember this, and I remember this about it. And you start to uh, get reacquainted with the idea of the record and the record itself and the material that's on it. Yeah, so, for sure. Uh, yeah, it, it comes and goes. It ebbs and flows, man, of what, what you're attached to and whatnot. And there are some things that just are always there. Anthem, for me, will always be there as mm. a record that I'm fully aligned with, fully attached, fully submerged. Like, it just, it, it never goes away. But it, it, the record, for me, that was the quintessential record that everything that we were trying to do musically and lyrically and visually snapped a grid and and went mm. yeah yeah and we'll get to that album in a bit here um yeah and i totally get you know that like you won't connect with everything you've done i just find it interesting you know just the process of you know what do you connect with what don't you and um yeah that conversation about gnv fla on the talking records podcast was awesome i really really enjoyed that episode yeah, so let's uh, let's get into some of these songs that you picked. So the first one is from Hello Rock View, which was released on October 6, 1998. Um, so what was going on with the band at this time, and kind of what were your hopes for this album? You know what? This was our second record for Capitol Records. It was, uh, we were actually, uh, still we recorded it in Gainesville, Florida, right? Uh, where Losing Streak, we recorded... Uh, some of it down in Miami at Criteria and then brought it up to Gainesville to finish it. This record we did uh, with Howard Benson, who was new back into producing records. Prior was producing more uh, hair metal and hard rock. Yeah. And this was his first record on Pro Tools as well. Mm. It was our first record on Pro Tools. Uh, recording everything digitally. We did it. Uh, he flew the rig in and we did everything at mirror image and just a hope for it, man. What it, it's odd because uh, for losing streak and for hello, Rafi, two major label records, we went in kind of not completed even on writing. Right. Like there were songs that like great American sharpshooter. We wrote in the studio. We didn't, oh, we need another song, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna write we're gonna write it right, yeah. and a, a lot of that stuff was done on the fly, as as well as losing streak, right? So, uh, it's it's it just we were we were hoping for a a record that you know somehow propelled us even further than we were going. We had a lot of momentum going into losing streak, and then we had a lot of momentum going into hello rock you. So, you know, our, our hopes were high that it was going to kind of take it uh, and keep the momentum going, you know, bigger shows, bigger crowds, more touring. And that's, that's all we were kind of concerned with at the time. We weren't going, I wonder if we're going to, you know, get a hit, hit song. I wonder at radio, I wonder, you know, that was more on the losing streak side of those hopes and sort of like dreams. Hello, Rafi went, 
hey, we've been touring for eight months and we're just a machine, you know, a playing like playing machine. So when we went in there, it was just, you know, kind of all business, but we weren't really ready to to record, but uh, kind of wrote on the fly. And, and I, I love the record for that. It feels fresh and spontaneous a lot. It doesn't feel overthought. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's very high energy. There's there's lots lots to it. So I think, you know, sometimes maybe that's better where you're not thinking as much about you're just going and, you know, just kind of using the energy and momentum and kind of what you're wanting to see with this. Um, so I also wanted to touch on um, the, the album title. Like I had read that it was, you know, inspired by a friend that was incarcerated. Is that correct? No, it, it was uh, while we were on tour, we were going through central Pennsylvania and it was uh, Rockview Prison, mm. right? And I went, that, that's a, a weird name. And just like back then, I would kind of have scraps of piece of paper and I jotted it down and, you know, crumple it up and put it in my pocket. And I would come home with like a Crown Royal bag full of lyrics that are just on napkins, on scraps of paper. Yeah. And I would open it up and I opened it up and it was... Uh, Rockview, and it was a prison. And I thought to myself that that everyone sort of, you know, has their own prison, right? And for me, Rockview represented, you know, that name just kind of rings in my head as like a, a suburbia, a you know, just a every other place in the world, you know, where it's not in a big city and it's in the shadow of a big city. And using that metaphor as like kind of the suburbs and and making it in the in the headspace of that being its own prison. So it mm. made sense to me. It's a hello rock view, which is kind of loosely as hello to the pr- your your own personal prison, right? Yeah, well, that's and, really cool. And so and, and every, everybody has that idea, you know. It's like some people, it's working nine to five, five days a week for, for year in, year out. Some people it's growing up in that sort of confined uh, mindset of the suburbs. For some people, it's that sort of hopes and dreams of, of being there and getting out, you know, but finding that it's the same cycle that they always go in, that their parents went in, their parents Mm -hmm. before them went in, that it's, you know, uh, living day to day, and and hoping for the best, but not doing anything to to make it different. Yeah, man, that's yeah. I love love that background because that's not something that you know you would get from even just looking at the artwork. And so I wanted to ask about that. You know, now that you're sharing that, I'm just picturing the artwork. You know, that guy kind of jumping off the roof into the pool or whatever. And you know, does that kind of just symbolize like, okay, I just got home from work. All right, the, you know, the kids are fighting, or you know, it's just the same day over and over. I got to get out of here. I'm just gonna jump into the pool and well you're you're going into the, you're going into the deep end yeah right? so and having him fully dressed and having him sort of having that manic like sort of happy look it, it, it jives with everything right because some people are happy in their own hell right yep. and happiest in their own hell and uh for me it, that that cover it just hit the nail on the head where it was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're all going into the deep end and some people go happily and other people 
you know, are just spectators in it. And some people risk it all by, you know, sort of just diving in. Yeah. No, that's, that's awesome. I love that. You know, it just gives me a new appreciation for that artwork. Cause I've always just been drawn to, to that style. You know, it's classic for that era, especially. And so it's great to have that extra background on that. So let's talk about the song that you picked off this album, The Great American Sharpshooter. So you think of what it could have been One time I saw you lost It keeps burning through your head Now you fall asleep Stand up and lie awake in bed Watch the clock drag out And think of what you should have said Oh Why is this kind of a standout song to you on this album? You know what? I, I always love playing it live. I think the lyrics uh, are, are a little bit, at least, uh, you know, for the time period, for sure. And even later time, but it's, it's a breakup song and Les and Jake never, uh, never did those. Right. And not, uh, not really even love songs or anything like that. And uh, for me, it was about my friend, John, who his girlfriend had broken up with him and he came out on tour with us uh, for a few days because it just was a wreck. Right. And he was my partner in field by ramen. Uh, and he just was a mess. So he came on tour with us and just kind of talked it out and it, his sort of headspace on it, you know, was that he had already in his brain planned a life together, right? Mm. You know, they were going to get married and they were going to do this and and all of that. And it just didn't work it out. And I thought that, that that sort of precision shot and kill of a sniper, right? Like, it's so easily in a relationship, man, that like one shot, one kill of the other person's sort of hopes and dreams and futures, and that break in a relationship. So uh, it was, like I said, unique sort of headspace for less than Jake. It was to a friend and, and it still was always a fun song to play live for me. Uh, just the whoa, whoa, whoa's and the crowd reaction. So just makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I love that, that title for that. Cause again, I wouldn't, wouldn't read that title and think, Oh, a breakup song. So that's cool to, to hear that. Yeah. And I mean, it's a pretty kind of to the point, quick song. Like it's, um, you know, more upbeat punk song. There's little to maybe even no horns on this song as well, which yeah. is different. Yeah, true. Uh, I, you know, what? It, it, it's you hit that nail on the head. It's just that a quick, catchy, you know, sort of starts and it's over and it's just bouncy. It's a fun song uh, musically and kind of a deeper layer. You know, if you start peeling back, you know, uh, everything to it, 
so just a deeper song that with a unique perspective at the time that we didn't have. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Love that. Yeah, the next album is that we'll touch on is Anthem, which was released May twentieth, two thousand three. So this was the band's most commercially successful album to date. Uh, what do you think attributed to the positive response from this album? I, I just think it was the you know I had mentioned it, it was a, a a record for me that lyrically, musically, visually all snapped to grid together. You know, we had uh, Rob Cavallo producing it, who did Green Day and, yeah. and a, a bunch of other big records. Uh, and it just, it, it just for me, I, I think there were there are songs on it that tap into to lyrically and musically both that, that tap into that period of time. You know, and and continue to reverberate even, you know, years later, it it continues to reverberate. So I think it was just a record that that is unique in the way that for us anyway, that everything came together and everything was going, you know, in in motion. And that that's awesome that not a lot of people could say that, you know, I, I do know that, you know, in sort of a creative endeavor that all these other facets sort of come together in unison and are moving forward label. That was our first, uh, that was our first record for Warner brothers our, our mm. second major label. Right. Yep. And, uh, just sense of like positivity. And during that time, pop punk ex- it exploded man. like yep. it, it went where we were kind of on the cusp of pop punk getting big, and then Sky got big, but it was Anthem where that whole new crop of, of bands were just massive. Uh, you know, Some 41, Simple Plan, Newfound Glory, Good Charlotte, yeah. uh, Fall Out Boy even, you know? So it was, it was all there. Yeah. So is that like, so during, I mean, the summer of 2004, you guys were on the Project Revolution tour with Linkin Park, Korn, Snoop Dogg, The Used. Um, what was that experience like and how did your band get on this? Was that kind of part of the big pop punk boom? And if so, you know, how was it your band that got that versus maybe one of the others? It's a, it's a, it's a simple thing that Linkin Park was on Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. And Warner Brothers also helped promote and, and kind of uh, be involved with the tour. And it was just, it was a simple, you know, used who were also on Warner Brothers were, oh, okay. were part of it and Linkin Park. Uh, and, it was it was really cool it it was weird in the way that we would when we would play uh we it's called a parking lot slot right so when people are showing up usually to the show is when we're playing so if you got there early then you would you would see us play so uh it, it wasn't always a packed uh a packed sort of uh amphitheater when we went on but by the time we were off, it usually was, you know, uh, mostly, mostly filled. Okay. Uh, so you, you had to go out there with a, uh, a headspace of, okay, it's not going to be what your club show is. It's not going to yeah. be fans that know the songs that know everything. I mean, we it's a new metal tour for all intents and purposes, right? The two headliners, corn and Lincoln park. And there it is, right? It, it's, that people were showing up for corn would be like, what the fuck is this? Corn, <laughs> like whatever. But that was the exciting part for 
doing shows like that. We toured with Bon Jovi too. And that same same headspace of these people probably hate us. So we're going to have to go out there and actually put on a a show and we have to actually go out there and, and try and not just hit cruise control. Right. And those, those shows for me, like were always the best shows because, you know, you're, you're trying to bring over people into your corner that really are just hearing you for the first time. Yeah. And, and that's exciting to me, you know, that, that sort of on that, that tight, that tightrope of, crashing and burning or getting across and being like, fuck, we, we made it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it was cool. It was, it's cool. Uh, that it was cool. Then it's cool now to, to think about, you know? Yeah. And was it like, was it good for you guys? Like by the end, was it like, okay, that was worth doing or was it like, well, we tried something new. I mean, sometimes you just got to do something totally kind of off the cusp too. I think both. Right. I think that it helped, and, and some ideas of radio and kind of positioning, right? But did it help get a lot of fans? I, I don't think so, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it, it didn't hurt at all. Yeah. Right? And it was something that you have to push and challenge yourself to do. For sure. Yeah, and I'm sure it was one of those opportunities where it's like, you know, I know we're going to get paid. You know, there's going to be food. You know, there's going to be some people, and then you just, like you said, you're going with that headspace and just try to see the best of it. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. So let's get to some of the songs um, that you picked from this. So the first one is The Science of Selling Yourself Short. Drain out 
is, you know, definitely one of the standout songs on the album. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of views on this on YouTube, and um, I've seen lots about this song on different things. Um, yeah, so tell me about this song. Why do you connect with it? Why is it special to you? Again, it's uh, lyrically, uh, it's it's the the catchiest uh, self-deprecating song that you could possibly have. You know, yeah. It's basically you know saying, uh, you know, kind of ticking off all your your flaws as a human, right? So, uh, I, I I I love the fact that you can kind of exercise your demons to something that's so fucking catchy, right? Yeah. And so bright and shiny. And the, the beautiful thing that, that less than Jake has, it's the dichotomy, right? Like this sort of two headed Hydra that is this fun and bouncy and kind of carefree live experience. And then if you care to look, it has sort of a heavier lyric content and a little bit more serious and, uh, in the studio, especially. And that's the beautiful thing for me that science kind of balanced the, this perfect, like sort of California vibe, this breezy, catchy, laid back, you know, musically. Uh, but it was such a dark cloud lyrically and it, it pointed every single flaw that I have out. So, yeah. hmm. uh, it, it, it balanced it balanced who the band was at the time perfectly. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that, you know, is how do you find that balance with, you know, matching darker lyrics to a bouncier song? Does that just come naturally? Is that a conscious thing of like, okay, this song is pretty dark. Let's try and kind of amp it up a little bit with, you know. Um, it was just writing how we were writing and uh, musically, you know, and then writing how we were writing on the lyrical side. It wasn't until like, you know, in with the out crowd where we we decided, OK, we're going to step outside of this sort of like uh, super catchy, super hyperactive musically box and, and try to align ideas and vibes together, you know. Uh, but for Anthem, it was still just like this interjection of just like ultra catchy music and this bright and and melodic and you know, musically textured, Rob Cavallo as a producer was insane and awesome, right? Yeah. So if you start to get in that, like, ear candy of, like, all the guitars and how the drums were nuanced with different snare drums on each song and things like that, like, audio heads could go wild on that record, right? And I, I think that, again, it's it's, you're not going oh here's something that's going to be dark so we have to to brighten it up it was just how we were writing at the time yeah and, and that's and that's why it goes back to that same idea of just snapping all these elements snapping to get together and going you know we weren't trying anything we were just being who we were and writing how we wrote yeah well definitely definitely turned out great it's an, an awesome song i love the kind of straightforward ska reggae kind of influence to the song and yeah, it's just got a really cool vibe to it. So the next one you picked off that album is Escape from the A-Bomb House.
catchy, upbeat, um, great melodies and chorus. It's got this really cool horn section bridge too that I, I really like. You know, it's kind of repeating the, the melody of the song, but I thought it was cool to just have the horns doing that instead of, you know, another chorus or whatever. Um, yeah, so tell me what, what's the meaning of this song? I mean, that uh, it, it's about, you know, feeling, again, going into that feeling trapped uh, as you were growing up in your parents' house. And going to them that hey like you know it's an open letter basically saying you know i have to leave for for all of my reasons you know and that feeling of like ending things are ending but they're also beginning right yeah and that sort of sad but exciting sort of headspace that you're in and that's escape from the a-bomb house right where something so volatile that you are living in and so constricting of living in someone, you know, living under someone else's roof by their rules. Uh, But at the same time being sad that you have to go, but knowing that you do have to go. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes you have to put yourself through difficult situations, just knowing what, you know, the outcome is going to be and, you know, just growing. And so that's a cool representation for that. Yeah, so the next album is In With The Out Crowd, which was released on May 23rd, 2006. So you just kind of briefly touched on this. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to this album, you know, whether it's positive or negative, but um, I want to focus on the positive for this because I think there is a lot. You know, you guys were, you know, had kind of had different influences on this album. You know, you didn't want to do the same album twice. You know, you wanted to kind of jump out of the box a little bit and do something different. And I think that's really cool for a band to be able to do. And I'm sure it's difficult as well when... You know, you know, maybe your fans are expecting one thing, but, you know, you want to do something different. And so kind of what was that experience like going into this album, maybe knowing that the outcome would be, you know, maybe not as accepted by fans? Does that hinder things or does that motivate you more to just be creative and do what you know you need to do at that time? You know, I think it, it's both, right? Because there, there's a point where you know that you were writing and we were searching and there was a lot of pressure. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves. The label put a lot of pressure on our, on us as well. You know, this was the second record for Warner brothers. They wanted something a little bit 
more that they could like try to go to radio with. They didn't want the same. They, they felt, and maybe rightfully so that that, that pop punk bubble was sort of burst hmm. and they wanted to, to go somewhere else with it. Right. And, uh, I, I thought that, that the prep, the, it was too much pressure, right. That we put on ourselves too much pressure from the producer, too much pressure from the label. We were trying to follow like sort of this natural progression of where we were at writing lyrically and writing musically. But I think that instead of letting it naturally grow and expand, we tried to, to force the, the, that sort of rapid growth of, mm-hmm. of writing. And we just weren't there at the time. Right. And I, I think that the testament of that record is talking to fans now about what their thoughts are on it yeah and then asking what their thoughts on it uh, were on it when it came out you know and it's the same thing i didn't really like it when it came out but it's it's has some of my most favorite songs by mm-hmm. less than jake on it and uh that that's the testament right it's that we were almost there we were almost in that like sort of blossoming naturally yeah uh, and that too much pressure you know it's like sometimes you know that pressure can make a diamond and sometimes that pressure could just you know make it into powder right so little of both i think yeah well that's got to be hard you know going into something knowing like okay i know fans might not love this now but we think you know the songs will stand the test of time and you know just knowing well maybe it will take 10 years for people to really latch on to this and i just think that's a really cool integrity move of a band you know, to do that because, you know, it affects your next, you know, two years or whatever of, of opportunities and growth as a band. But sometimes you need to do, you know, just what feels right to you instead of feels right for the system kind of thing. You know what? It, it's, I, I think that we, we did things for, for the right reasons and we did things for the wrong reasons, man. I mean, like, you know, you want that, like, Hey, we're going to step out and do what we want to uh, musically but I think that we were doing what we wanted to to a point, and then all the other influence was sort of clouding that, like getting clouding it and our judgment to make it fully realized, right? So yeah. uh, the only the only sort of regret I have during that whole process was that just the pressure that we put on ourselves and let the outside pressure succumb to like what was going on. I think some of some of my favorite songs, some of my favorite lyrics were from that time period. And, you know, while I I don't think that, you know, uh, Hopeless Case at the time was going to be like a massive song, but I knew that it was a special song. I knew that like when I heard it and when the lyrics were there and when the music was there, I knew that even though I was part of it, it, it touched me and and kind of embedded me, embedded in me, uh, the way other people's songs do that I find like special and 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 yeah. awesome, you know. And uh, it, it's just it's just one of those things, man. Is that I, I know from listening back at that time and and knowing the songs and knowing the vibe, I knew that. You know, I could stand next to most of those songs and go, uh, these songs, these songs mean the world to me, you know, and sending that signal out into the ether 
you hope it connects, right? Yeah. And and it it might have not felt like that after the record came out, uh, but some it did sometimes. You know, when yep. people went heard it for the first time, went fuck, I love this. You know. Yeah. Uh, but again, years and years later, you know, talking to, uh, longtime fans are like, yeah, I mean, these, these are the song, the, you know, these three songs to me, they happen to be on this record. I'm not a huge fan of the record as a whole, but those three songs or those four songs or those two songs, whatever it is, th- those are my favorites. And, and here it is. Yeah. No, well, that's awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about the song you picked off this one, the rest of my life.
kind of a ballady kind of a song you know it's still upbeat it's got a really cool vibe to it you know yeah, i just found it to be a really dynamic song you know it's sounds a bit emotional a little bit sad sounding um but i kept going back to this one and i just thought there was something really special to it is this one that that you typically find people are connecting with or why is this one special absolutely absolutely yeah. and uh it's definitely a song that people connect with it's definitely a, a video that we did that that we weren't in and uh but it definitely was a, a heavy and an awesome video that matched the sort of heaviness of the 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 lyric and the melancholiness of the music yeah uh but how we were doing it live too we would come back after the the show would happen we would come back and and do that song and we had it stripped down where chris would come out and just be with a guitar with a vocal and have it really stripped down. And then towards the second, uh, after the second verse, uh, full band would come in and kind of make it explode. And we would do it a little bit quicker and make it a little bit heavier, right? So it became a moment live, which in turn became more of a moment for other people that liked the song. So yeah, started to compound that like sort of feeling of, hey, this song's special. Oh, by the way, it's extra special because you see how much, sort of emphasis we're putting on it you know at, at the end trying to command that sort of one-on-one -on -one thing where it's just a singular voice and guitar and and looking looking to sort of connect that way right yeah yeah i was gonna ask if this was a song that that you guys typically played live and kind of how that connected with people and it, it does ben it does you know and uh originally uh that song uh was called uh an open letter from Asbury Park. Okay. Uh, and it's about my, my grandfather uh, being sick and passing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we started to kind of pull it back. And it was a song, actually, we co-wrote with, with Mark Hoppus musically. You yeah, know? oh, cool. Uh, so uh, just, again, uh, it, it was a, a, heavier, a heavier song. And I think that the music like was the perfect like accompaniment of like how heavy the, the lyric and idea was. Right. Yeah. And uh, it, it's definitely a, a, a gold star moment on, on in with the out crowd for me. Yeah. Well, that's cool. You mentioned uh, Mark Hoppus on that because that, that's funny. As I was listening to this, you know, I was like, this definitely has some of those kind of darker undertone vibes that blink can sometimes have on their more you know kind of stripped down emotional songs so how did that process come to be about you know what at the time we were just looking to like as we were expanding you know the idea of like coming outside of that sort of like box of just like you know like exuberant pop punk and ska punk right we were just taking the time to write with other people and mark hoppus you know was uh, we were a fan and a friend we had toured with Blank before. Uh, and it was just sort of obvious to, to, to kind of work with him when he was doing the same thing with like a Motion City soundtrack and things like right. that. So he was putting himself out there as like a songwriter and a producer and a co-writer. So it, it was a, a good, was a good uh, uh, middle ground to meet. 
Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, so the last one here is from the album See the Light. came out November 12, 2013. Uh, this is one of my favorite Less Than Jake albums. This album kind of seemed to kind of reinvigorate <clears throat> excuse me, uh, my love for the band, and I, you know, I really love the artwork on this one as well. Um, so this is your, la- your last full-length release with the band. Um, what do you remember about the writing and recording process of this? For, for me, See the Light, it, it just was a record that – uh, we wanted a more positive spin on it. So we wanted to go back and wanted to make it a little bit more high energy, but lyrically and thematically, we wanted to make it more about uh, the light at the end of the tunnel and mm-hmm. not sort of the dark cloud, not focusing on sort of like that, that darker headspace we wanted that, that going for the gold ring, you know, type yeah. thing, not, not the, the, the other way around. the song that you chose give me something to believe in is that kind of you know wrap that theme kind of up or what's what's going on with that yeah, song I, I, that that song was a i had the lyrics already done uh and it was lyrics that like kind of raj wasn't really touching and chris wasn't really touching but uh 
JR said, hey, what about these lyrics? And I said, oh, hey, you, you should go take a grab at it, you know? And uh, he brought he brought in the following day or maybe two days later uh, the melody and the vibe for it. And I immediately fell in love, like immediately fell in love and said, hey, okay, cool. Like, And we wound up tweaking it a little bit after he brought it in, but it was pretty... Uh, pretty intact of his original idea musically to come in. And it just, I, after hearing it, I went, this is, this is what the song is. It, it takes, you know, sort of like a serious lyric, but kind of downshifts it and, and gives it a, a cool and kind of like laid back swing to it. Yeah. And just, and just was a, a great, like a great accompanying musical idea to the lyrical idea. And, it's a, again one of those songs that live was always great for me. Always felt good. Always put me in like a good headspace and a mood. Uh, it wasn't necessarily like this like huge crowd reaction song. Yeah, but it, it not all songs have to be a, a yep. huge crowd reaction song. But for me, playing it on stage and hearing the the, the lyric be sung and just the vibe. Uh, as I was playing it, that's the beautiful thing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so as mentioned, this was your your last album with uh, Less Than Jake, and then you know it was a bit of a break there. But now you're a part of a new project called The Inevitables, and uh, so a new album came out uh, last year. Was that kind of the end of last year? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, the the LP one came out uh, last October. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and then, but. We've released like in 2021 uh, two EPs, and then uh, we have a new single that's coming out June 25th. So, uh, inevitables are an interesting thing for me, man. Like uh, when I left, I did Sound the Alarm EP. Uh, oh, right, See the light yeah. was my last full length, and yeah. I did Sound the Alarm EP, and then. Uh, I left LTJ just on the touring front. I have a daughter and uh, she was eight at the time. I just, I spent my whole life sort of touring while she was alive. Yeah. And a friend of mine who's in a, a, a much bigger punk band uh, and has many, many uh, has two sons and then uh, a, a new child went, Hey, you, you have to stop and mm. kind of you know realign yourself with your kids you know like you know he was like it's too late for me on these other two kids but on this new one like the i i i know what i have to do and this are things that i'm doing you know and you could try to band-aid not being around uh but ultimately speaking people remember that you weren't around Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids remember a lot about growing up and I wanted to be a part of it, man. And so I had to step away. I wasn't planning on doing any more music. I was planning actually to uh, write a book, which is done and in, in the editing process right now. Awesome. Uh, but I wasn't planning on doing music until Obi Fernandez, he sings uh, in Westbound Train. Uh, we're just kind of catching up and we would do it weekly. And he was like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, well, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing this. I'm working on a book. 
He goes, no, but like, what are you doing musically? I go, nothing. I'm, I'm not doing anything musically. Mm. And he was like, bullshit. Like, what do you have? I know you have something. And I kind of resurrected the idea that originally was for less than Jake, an idea for less than Jake. And, uh, and just never, it got cut. And just the idea just never lifted off. I went, well, I have this one idea and it's about this. And there's a comic book that goes along with it. And the musical companion, a companion is a soundtrack, not a like sort of rock opera that yeah. like follows this, but it's a soundtrack to the, the comic book. And we talked about it and brought in Alex Stern from uh, Big D and the Kids Table. Uh, and we launched it that way. But as of, you know, we had October of 2020, the LP1 came out. Uh, and then we did, uh, like I said, two EPs and a single's coming. But I think we're at 40, well, by the time the new single comes out, that's going to be 34 songs released. Yeah, well, uh, and then we have another 10 that are, are done and recorded. Wow. So, so you definitely had something going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have, you know, another, another vibe that's, that's happening to beyond that. But I, I don't know. It's that I, I thought that musically it, I, I was done. And I was going to put it on a shelf, you know, uh, but uh, life turned out to have a, a whole different headspace to that, you know, and here it is 34 songs later, we'll hit 50 songs by uh, early 2022. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and that's amazing. I will, and, and unexpected. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, and the, there, I was so comfortable and so much, the musical brotherhood of Raj and Chris and buddy and Jr. Like I thought there's no way that I could connect on another level with other people after doing it for so long with this sort of musical brotherhood. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, I, I found, I found like sort of like that new bond with, with Alex and Obi about writing and, and about connecting and being able to do that even in COVID times uh, was, was like a helped heal a lot of like mm. headspace in, in me of, being having to or choose not having to choosing to leave music uh and having that sort of like even though it's a, a healthy reason it sort of leaves that like space there and having the inevitables it, it filled that and and went even more you know beyond that yeah so so i'm thankful thankful for that the new musical brotherhood and bond from from obi and alex yeah, for sure. Yeah, when you kind of answered my my next question, just about you know the, the difference of collaborating with new people versus the same for so many years, you know, has that brought kind of a fresh outlook on music and just even having you know some time away from music and coming back to it? Yeah, I, I think both. Right, I think that taking a break and what I really needed, I think, was uh, you know uh, a break from from music, right to concentrate on family, concentrate on mental health, right? Concentrate on my physical health. I had broke my foot and poured six months on it, right? So yeah. uh, when I left LTJ, physically and mentally, both were just shot in the ass, right? So to speak, right? Like, yeah. uh, but it, it, you know, everything heals and, and just you need that time away from what you were doing for 27 years, right? Sure. Uh, because there was no break 
in that 27 years. There was no, oh yeah, I'm going to come home and forget about it and go on vacation. It was a constant push forward, right? Yeah. Not only musically, lyrically, artistically, uh, merch, everything. So there was no break. So I, I needed that break to just kind of come to grips with, you know, my passion and love for music. Right. Yeah. And then you add in the idea of other people and not having that same sort of idea, because when you're with people for that long and that brotherhood happens, you also know how to dial up each other's good mood and dial each up, you know, each other's bad mood, you know, the baggage that goes along with a new idea, you know, everything that goes along with, with writing with this group of people with a new group of people, you go, well, I always thought about doing this and the other two, there's no baggage. There's nothing. They yeah. Go, fuck. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. What really? And yeah, fuck. Yeah. Let's do it. And it, it turns all of a sudden into, you know, the fear of bringing new ideas because uh, no one likes new ideas, like generally speaking, right. Right. Like, once yeah. we're sort of in that, uh, bringing new ideas and new vibes and new thought and then having it enhanced instead of having to plead your case, somebody's automatically enhancing the idea by, I like it, but we should do so-and-so and so-and-so on top of that. And you go, Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right. You know, and that's the true idea of collaboration is that right. Yeah, definitely. It's not who's talking loudest. It's who's hearing you most yeah. at that point. Well, it's probably so nice to just doing a project that doesn't have the same pressure of, you know, having to tour on something or being on a major label or all those things, right? It kind of opens up a new just, you know, wave of cre- creativity and excitement for something, knowing it's like, you know, this is more for us. I mean, obviously you want listeners to love it and you know to get the name out there but you're not necessarily like waiting on that you know to impact the rest of your life kind of thing it's it's true you know there, there's something there's a freedom in not giving a fuck and that's the reason why i i, I love and fell in love with like, punk rock music right yeah uh and to be able to have that same freedom uh and given the chance to sort of that second chance of hey here, here's, you know, sort of a, another musical brotherhood and you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? It's a blank page, write whatever you want on it. Yeah. That's, that's the reason why I fell in love with punk rock to begin with, right? That, that freedom of not being confined, that freedom to write your own script when you come back to it and you, as an adult, right. And that freedom to, to write your own script. It, it's, terrifying number one yeah but it's also it's also just life-giving at the same time you yeah, know for sure yeah so much good insight there i appreciate that yeah so for for people that want to find um the inevitables music anything coming up where can people check that out and, and support that project uh well uh the inevitables dot world is the website for all things inevitables uh uh, if you're if you're listening to music on Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer or wherever, the Inevitables are on there. Uh, full length, two EPs. There's a new song coming out called Heavy Heads, uh, and that's on June 25th. Uh, and there's a lot more music. I, I think from what I just 
uh, had been told uh, I, the plan is now is to release one song every month for the rest of 2021. So oh, right on. Let's look forward to them. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Vinny, I really appreciate your time and your insight and your stories. It's, it's a joy to get to hear the background on some of your favorite songs and my favorite songs and many others. So appreciate your time sharing with us today. Thanks, thanks for having me.